My name is Kendrick, and I'm the pastor here at Calvary, at Calvary Church West Hills, and it's good to see you guys here in person this morning. It's good to see you guys online. I am uh, grateful for the opportunity that we get to come together and worship uh, together. This week, this Sunday, we're going to actually kind of change plans. We were looking at prayer, and we were just finished looking at prayer and acts as a church. Now we're going to shift to parables, and we're going to start looking at parables, specifically parables found in the Gospel of Luke. And when I talk about parables, I know many people start having different ideas on what a parable is or what a parable means. There are many theological definitions out there of what a parable is and how a parable is different than an illustration or how it's different than a normal story or how it's different than some other examples that are used throughout Scripture. For these next several weeks, we're going to use the following definition for a parable. Very simple. A parable compares an everyday event or experience to a spiritual truth. So when we talk about this, that's what, when I say parable, that's what I am referring to. We know that Jesus used parables to stimulate thinking and cause the audience, cause the person listening to really contemplate on what they were hearing. What does that mean? How does that affect them? Most parables have a single point. There is a single point truth that Jesus is trying to convey when he teaches that. There's just a single lesson, a single spiritual truth uh, in that point. We're going to try and focus on what those truths are this uh, next several weeks. The hearers should ponder the parable parable that he's, um, and when they sit there and they think about it, it should actually lead them to maybe confess their own ignorance. Maybe say, I don't get this. I don't understand this truth. It's supposed to lead that hearer to seek wisdom And then and only then will they start to understand that spiritual truth that Jesus is trying to teach. A parable gets the listener deeply involved in a story. It draws them in. This is who you are. This is you walking those fields. This is you with the sheep. This is you looking for the coin. And it challenges the the listener to make a personal decision, what they would do if that was them. If that was me, how would I act? How would I respond? And Jesus is trying to get us to challenge those thoughts. Now here's a very important note about parables, is that they uh, are not meant for you to apply those to somebody else. Too often when we hear parables, we start thinking, oh, Aunt Betty, this is for her, right? Or this is for the crazy neighbor, or this is for that high school friend from 15 years ago that I haven't seen. This parable is for them. That's not what parables are for. Parables are for you. They're for the audience to think about. They were meant and they're intended to bring you into a deeper, deeper understanding of that spiritual truth that Jesus is trying to teach. And just like when Jesus originally told the parables, today people respond to the message of these parables by joining themselves to Jesus, by seeing themselves in the parable, by seeking further understanding. And when they do that, truth is revealed. However, to, to those whose hearing remains at a superficial level, who are content with not understanding, who are content with not knowing, who really don't care or who see Bobby in the story instead of themselves, there is no further truth revealed to them. And this can become a little uncomfortable for me if we just have a moment of honesty here. And it's not because I can't relate to common events from 2,000 years ago. With just a little bit of studying, we can understand the context that Jesus was talking about. It's not that I can't see myself in the story. Oftentimes when I'm reading the parables, I said, oh yeah, that's me. I've actually had a garden. I've thrown seed. I I can see myself doing that. Where I tend to have trouble is sometimes I look and say, I have no idea what the spiritual truth is here. 
right? And we study and we seek and we're seeking that, that, that lesson that he is trying to teach. And sometimes as I read com- uh, commentators, as I listen to other pastors, and I listen to other theologians and they dissect some of these simple parables, I quickly find myself becoming more confused on what that single truth was that Jesus was trying to teach. And have you ever been there? Have you ever read a commentary or an article or heard a sermon on a parable only to be more confused than you were before when you just simply read the parable in your, your Bible? So today, to help with that, we're going to start off with a parable that teaches about parables. We're going to look at what the parables are for and how they are meant. And this is the parable of the sower. It's found in Luke chapter 8. You can go ahead and you can turn there in your Bibles now. And what makes this, there's several things that make this a good parable to start with. One of them is, is it talks about uh, hearts receiving the word of God. And how hearts should be prepared and how hearts hear the word of God. It talks about the purpose of parables, which is very good. And the best reason why is because Jesus explains it. So we don't have to spend a lot of time guessing because Jesus tells the parable and then Jesus explains the parable. It's one of two that Jesus actually explains in scriptures. And this is the best part about it. He does it like in seven sentences. There's a lot of commas, but it's not in a seven-volume book set. Jesus perfectly explains with such clarity what this parable means in just a few short sentences. So let's go ahead and let's open up the Word of God. Let's begin reading. I'm going to start in verse 4 of chapter 8. It says, When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said a parable. A a sower went out to sow his field, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. So just with that parable, this is a pretty simple uh, story for a farm society, an agrarian society, where that's what they do is farming. In his audience... They probably could have just stopped and looked around and saw many of these fields that Jesus was talking about. Many of these family farms all around the area. Many of these farms that were divided up by paths of where people walked and animals and carts went around these fields around the edges. So as you looked out into the valley, you would see several plots of fields. And you would see these little trails all around those fields that were uh, made by the people walking. And we also can assume that many of those people that were listening to Jesus had probably sowed, fe- sowed seed in many of those fields. And they had come now to hear Jesus talk, but they knew exactly what he was talking about as they would walk their fields and they would throw out seed. And most of the seed would land on the field. Some would go on those hard beaten paths. And Jesus talks about those. And some would go onto rocks or, or dirt that covered up rocks, maybe slightly below where it was plowed. But some ended up in the good soil. And so Jesus just explained or told them the story of a farmer who was sowing seed. And as Jesus said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Now, this is significant because Jesus is referencing a chapter in Isaiah, chapter 6. And in that passage, God had come to Isaiah and said, hey, there are many people have turned their hearts against God. They have turned and walked away from God, and I am going to forgive them. I am going to restore them. I am going to uh, take away their shame and take away their guilt and forget their trespasses, and I'm going to call them back to me. And even though I am doing that as free grace, there are people that are going to turn and continue to walk away from me. There are people that are going to harden their ears. There are people that are going to have hard hearts. But there are some that will hear the message that you, Isaiah, are proclaiming, and they will turn and be healed, and they will come back to me. So as Jesus talks about this field, he says, uh, he, he refers to them, he who has ears, let him hear. And this would have drawn the people right back to the Isaiah prophecy. And we continue in verse 9. And it says, And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, referring to Jesus, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. This is interesting. Just that sentence alone has created much Good faith discussion on what Jesus meant. What is he talking about? And this is, there has just been so much discussion. There have literally been books written solely on that sentence. Solely on what Jesus was talking about. So I'll, that's not the focus of our sermon today. So I'm going to give you a very short answer so we can move on. This is a short answer to a complex question. But Jesus used parables to separate those who were faithfully seeking to follow Jesus, and he used parables to separate those people from others that just wanted to be casual observers, to some that just wanted to be specters, to some just wanted to see Jesus in his sideshow, and even to separate those that were opponents to the faith that the gospel demands that we follow. Right? That they were opponents to the life that Jesus calls us to. So parables help separate those two groups. And in Jesus's goes on to explain the parable. And his explanation of the parable is just as simple as the parable you can pick up in verse 11. And it says, Now the parable says this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And then the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for in the good soil, they are those hearing the word, hold it fast and honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Now here's the lesson to this parable is that good soil, that hearing hearts produce fruit. Produce fruit a hundredfold. And the first question that we have to ask is, what is the seed? And Jesus tells us that the seed is the word of God. So the word of God, and I just want to be very, very clear on this, the word of God is the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we look at this, Paul declared this gospel. And this is what Paul said. 
He said that Christ, referring to Jesus, died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to uh, Caiaphas, sorry, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And just in that simple description of the gospel, we get that Jesus is Christ, that Jesus died for our sins, and that Jesus resurrected, that Jesus rose from the dead. But we can't stop there when we look at the gospel. We have to look at what Jesus says about the gospel. Right? This, this is the imperative, the, the good news um, that Jesus tells us about the gospel. When we look at Mark, and Jesus said this about the gospel. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And in the next ver- and two verses later, Jesus says, and then Jesus said to them, follow me. So this is when we look at the gospel, we have to look at what Jesus says, that we have to repent, that we have to turn from our ways. Isaiah, God said this, that they repent, that they turned, and they were healed. That we have to believe, we have to have faith that Jesus' death and resurrection was victory for our sins, that Jesus is victorious, and then we have to follow. That we have to know Jesus not just as our Savior, but as our Lord. That when he gives us commands, that we acknowledge him and that we follow them because we say it all the time he's our lord and savior so if he is our lord then we do what he says right these are part of the gospel and too quick we play down the importance of our faith in the gospel we play down the part of us having to repent and believe and to follow and pastor ben sobels he says this if we don't repent and believe in the gospel and follow we won't be saved it's disruptively simple Simple. It is disruptively simple. Those are the simple things that we have to do. We have to repent, believe, or follow, or else we won't be saved. And we talk about the seed that is being sown. This is God's word. This is the kingdom gospel. This is the truth. This is the seed that is being thrown out. This is the word that Jesus is pleading with those in his audience to hear. And to not just casually hear, but to hear with their hearts. It is here that Jesus wants you to ask yourself, which soil represents your heart? And when we look at those four types of soils, which one is your heart? And the parable of the sower invites us to examine our hearts. Invites us to look and say, I'm in the story. And, and forget if I'm the sower. Forget what kind of seed it is. Jesus wants us to look at what type of soil we are. What do our hearts look like? And church, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the first three soils because Jesus already explained them. And we can spend a lot of time discussing the things that we don't want to be. So we're just going to go ahead and focus on the fourth soil. But I will just give a summary of the first three, but we're going to go through these very, very quick. The first soil, the path, this is a heart that is hard. The word, the word does not penetrate the heart, and the word of God has no effect on the person who hears it with their ears. But I want you to really pay attention to the second and third soils. And as we think about what those soils mean, we can see that this parable of the sower was also meant for disciples. It was meant for them to think about what they are hearing. Because we see that the rocky ground, the shallow soil, this word penetrated. And it was received with joy. But when it was tested, we see that the trials ultimately revealed that there was lack of faith, that there was no faith in that person. And the third soil with the thorns that choked out the seed, this is a distracted heart. 
This is a heart that has competing prior- priorities. And Jesus said in Matthew that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so we look at this one with the thorns, and this presents a life that is, the current life is more important to them than the life to come. The things of this world have their attention. The things of this world separate you from the things of God. That the stuff of this world is more important than the Savior of your eternity. And then we get to the fourth soil, the last soil. This is the good soil, a a heart that hears and accepts the word of God down into the deepest parts of the heart. This heart believes the gospel of Jesus Christ and it leads them to a life of repentance. This is a heart that hears the message of Jesus and therefore produces fruit. This is the soil that we want to say our heart represents. This is the soil that we want to say, oh, Lord, I want that to be me. This is the soil that we pray to God our heart represents. And Scripture tells us that we are to have a prepared heart, that we are to work on a heart, that we're to have good soil. It's ready to receive the implanted word. Dang, how do we do that? Right? That should be your next question. If you say, that's the soul that I, that's the, the, the soil that I want. That's what I want my heart to reflect. Well, how do I do that? And it's actually simpler than you think. Because it's by God's grace that we are saved. It is simply by God that our hearts are transformed from a hardened ground, from a beaten down path, impossible for that word to penetrate into a soft soil, into a useful, productive soil. It's by God's grace. And we know that by Scripture that it is God that removes the stones from our heart, that God removes the stones from our heart, gives us a soft heart, and it's God that provides every good gift. And we know that it's God that pours his love into our heart that transforms our hearts. So church, a heart that hears and produces fruit is completely dependent upon God. That we just look to God and we pray to God and we seek God and we trust that God will transform our hearts. There's nothing that we can do. Pastor John MacArthur from down the way, he he summarized it this way. He who believes in Christ are totally dependent on the indwelling Spirit's work in our hearts to keep us tender, receptive, and ultimately fruitful. So the parable of the sower is a parable about truly hearing the message of the kingdom. The good soil represents a heart that hears Jesus' message, not just casually listens to his words. Right? This is a heart that produces a hundredfold. And in that day, tenfold was a, a good crop, sixfold was amazing, a hundredfold could only be explained by God. And God promises that in a soft heart, in a hearing heart, we will produce a hundredfold. So let's spend the next few minutes looking at what are some signs of a, of a hearing heart, of a heart that is hearing the words of God, that is truly understanding what God is saying. And that's the first thing, is that hearing hearts, they seek understanding. This goes past just hearing the words being spoken and reading the words in our scripture, but it's actually pursuing an understanding of what they mean. What does God mean when he says this? What is scripture telling us? What do we do? What does this mean? How does this fit together? Just the other night as we were going to bed, we had the Olympics on in in our bedroom. And when I go to bed, I listen more than I watch. And so Melissa says, can I turn it off? And I said, no, I'm listening to it. And I'm sitting with my eyes closed. And I remember I was sitting there watching the game with my eyes closed, and I could hear the squeaky shoes. I heard about passes. I heard about touching the net, and I heard these 
things. And then in the morning, I woke up and I said, hey, Melissa, who won the basketball game? And she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, clearly there was a basketball game on last night. I was watching it, and turns out it was a volleyball game. <laughs> right? It was a volleyball game that was on TV, but they said things like block. They said things like pass. And when they said things like pass, that should have been a dead giveaway. We're not watching basketball anymore. Basketball tends to just do these breakaways, and that's what basketball is made of. But somehow I had in my mind that we were watching basketball. Um, I didn't understand I didn't understand what was going on. I I heard, but I wasn't able to put things together, and I just go to sleep. And all too often, this represents too many in the church that read their Bible. They will sit there, and they will just read. They hear a few key words. They hear a few familiar things. They don't understand what it means. They don't understand how to put it together. But instead of seeking understanding, instead of trying to understand, they just close their Bibles, and they go on in their ignorance. When we are listening to what we seek? Are we trying to understand what the scripture says? Are we trying to understand the points that Jesus is trying to make? Are we trying to understand what it means to follow Jesus and what that looks like? Or are we more concerned about just counting the number of pages that we read in our Bible or maybe the minutes that we spent reading our Bible or in prayer? Or are we truly seeking to understand what the scripture says? And this is really, really important that we seek understanding because a hearing heart responds with obedience, right? So we need to know what we're being told. We need to understand what is being said. The Hebrew word for hearing, sama, is translated as obey, right? To hear is to obey. And real hearing is hearing that leads to obedience. Real hearing is Hearing that leads to obedience to hearts that are transformed by the gospel. Hearts that are filled with the Holy Spirit and hearts that are in love with Jesus. As Jesus simply said, this is, this is Jesus' words, If you love me, you will keep my commands. So as Christians, we, Christians we're little Jesus. We love Jesus. If we say, I love Jesus, then we keep his commands. We have a life of obedience, which means we have to have some type of understanding. As DC Talk said in the 90s, love is a verb. Right? There is an action that is associated with what love means, and it means obedience. As our hearts seek to gain understanding, we respond with obedience to the word, and through this obedience, through trying to understand and then doing what Scripture says, our lives will be transformed. Hearing hearts are indicators of this life, of this transformed life, lives that have turned from their ways to follow Jesus. Lives that have repented uh, from their own hearts and said, Jesus, I want to be a disciple. I want to follow you. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I read this the other day. Craig Kinner wrote this. Craig Keener wrote this. The only conversions that count in the kingdom are those confirmed by a life of discipleship. I want you to think about that for a minute. Right? If, if we say we're converted, but we don't have Jesus as our Lord, right? If we don't really care what he says, so we don't seek understanding, if we don't really care what his commands are, because we're not going to do them anyway, can we honestly say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior? Are we really converted? Have we really repented from following ourselves to following Jesus? That is what following Jesus means, that we follow Jesus. It's like playing follow the leader, right? I've I'm following his commands. I'm responding in obedience to what Jesus says. Right? Following Jesus is not like being on a lazy river that we sit and we float around and when we get too hot or too hungry or too wet, we say, yeah, I'm good. And we get off the track. 
right? That's not following Jesus. But hearing hearts, they remain fixated on Jesus. They remain trying to understand what Jesus is saying, and then they follow him, and they model obedience for a lost and dying world that is watching them. See, a, a hearing heart doesn't lose faith when trials appear. A hearing heart perseveres with endurance. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he reminds us of this. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The gospel has never, ever, ever promised an easy life. What it does promise is an eternal life. Is a life with Jesus. And our faith will be tested with constant trials. Uh, ask anybody who says, I'm a believer in Jesus for more than 20 minutes, and you have faced a trial. And we will be faced with those trials, but God uses those trials to bring spiritual maturity into our lives, to help grow us, to help produce fruits in our own life. And God blesses the man who perseveres in trials. And it says in Scripture that he promises to crown that person with life, the eternal life that we receive through faith in Jesus. According to Jesus' explanation of, of the parable, those who hear the word of God, seek understanding, respond with obedience, and persevere with endurance, they will produce fruit for the kingdom. That, that is a promise. That is a promise of scripture. Jesus said it. He doesn't have to say, oh, I promise, or I, I, I double dog dare you promise that this is true. Jesus speaks, and it is truth. And since he says it, since he promises it, the only valid proof of a hearing heart is one that produces fruit. Is a heart that is producing fruit. Fruit is the only evidence that one has heard the word rightly. Anything else falls under the indictment of Isaiah 6 that we talked about earlier about dull hearts. People that, although Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna, or God said, hey, hey you turn from me, but that's okay, I'm gonna forgive it, I'm gonna give you grace, I'm gonna restore our relationship, and people still turned away with dull hearts. They did not produce fruit, and this is what we are being told, so we must have fruit. We know that we are hearing correctly. We should have fruit, because Jesus tells us that a tree is known by its fruit. So let's look here for a few minutes at what are three types of fruit that are produced when we hear. When our hearing hearts hear the word of God, what are the fruits that we produce? Hearing hearts produce worshipful lips. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says this, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge him. Man, a, a heart that hears God, a heart that is close to God, a heart that knows God, a heart that hears the word of God is filled with praise. A heart that knows God and loves God, it's filled with Worship. It's the love of God that overflows from their lips when they speak. It overflows from their lips when they pray. It overflows from their lips when they're driving. They're all by themselves. And praises of God just come off of their lips. God's grace fills their hearts and worship is constantly on their lips. For out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth speaks. And a hearing heart produces worshipful lips. Our love for God is some of that fruit. And the more we worship God, the more we hear the word of God, the more we fall in love with God, and that is fruit in our lives. The second fruit that it produces, the hearing hearts produce Christ-like conduct. 
Followers of Christ must hear and respond with a lifestyle that bears fruit. That is a lifestyle marked by understanding God's word and obedience to God's word as revealed in the message of Jesus and persevering in that obedience, persevering in that faith as they follow Jesus. When the word falls on an open heart of a hearer, it causes that person to produce external acts which manifest something tangible and obvious actions that are done repeatedly and habitually. It becomes part of life. It's not just something they do when they're at church camp. It's not just something they do when somebody from their church sees them at the grocery store. But it becomes who they are. Like Paul, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And we know that when we love God and we are producing fruit, that we love God and we love people and we choose integrity in our lives and we choose honesty in our lives and we lead with compassion and we serve with humility and we give generously, then we are reflecting Jesus to the people around us. Your conduct bears fruit as people see Jesus in you. And this is often one of those difficult times that we can look at our own lives and say, I don't see the fruit. Right? And we can struggle to see, I don't see what it is. But when we look at people around us and people that know us, they can say, oh, I see where you've changed. Oh, I can see where the work that God is doing in your lives. We can see where God has transformed your hearts. This is one of the things I struggle with and I know when, when Melissa and I got married, I didn't realize this until life had changed, but I guess I didn't like people. But as I've grown, Melissa can just say, I can just see in your life your love for people is different. And I kind of feel guilty, like, did I hate people? God's changed my heart, right? And I love people, and we can see, and, and sometimes when I don't see it, we can sing that song like, gosh, God, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm sure glad I'm not where I used to be. And we can look at that sanctification in our own lives. And when we embrace Jesus' message, God will take up residence in our heart. And he will give us increased understanding of the truth. He will bless us and he'll continue to grow in his likeness. And we will live like Christ and be more and more and more like him every single day as we pursue truth and obedience. And the third fruit that it produces is a hearing heart produces disciples who make disciples. There's a a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of people that, one, don't know Jesus, and two, that know Jesus but aren't sure how to live like Jesus. Jesus tells us that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, and that's what he's talking about. Like, we got a lot of people that we need to get the word out to. We got a lot of people that need to be made into disciples. And when you share the gospel with a person far from God and they come to faith in Jesus, you are bearing spiritual fruit. That is fruit in your life when you are sharing the gospel and God uses that to transform somebody's life. When you invest in a person, when you share life with them, just like Jesus shared life with the disciples, just like so many of you people that invested in your life and shared Jesus with you, shared Christ-like conduct with you, helped to disciple you, they invested in you, they shared life with you, that is fruit. And as a believer in Jesus, we are to have that same fruit. We are to have disciples who make disciples. We don't just stop. We don't make the instinct like, hey, I just got to make one disciple. That's not the instinct. That's a, that's, a, that's a near fight. 
But the long run is we are making disciples who make disciples. I remember a, a disciple maker that I had in Virginia, Colonel Brady. He would say, you know, what's the, the happiest day in your life is when you find somebody that God uses you to lead somebody to Jesus. And that's one of the happiest days in your life until you find somebody else who God used for that person to lead them to Jesus. Right? When you've found out that you have made disciples who are, are making disciples, it's kind of like being, going from a parent to a grandparent. And I've had people tell me, like, man, if I would have known grandparent was so fun, I would have skipped being a parent. And we look at this, and we invest in people's life, and we help somebody. We help them to love God. We help them to worship God. And when you help somebody to live like Christ, you are being fruitful, and that's what we are called to do. We are called to make disciples. That is bearing fruit in our life. And as a disciple, and you've heard this before, and a disciple is defined as somebody who loves God and lives like Jesus and help others do the same. You are a laborer in the field. Right? When you are doing those things, when you are loving God, when you're living like Jesus and you're helping others do the same, you are a laborer in the field and you are producing spiritual fruit. There is fruit in your life. Church, I'm just going to end on this. This is a very important point. I want you to just focus on this. If you've heard nothing else today except for, oh my gosh, I've got to produce a whole bunch of fruit and I'm not even sure where Genesis is in the Bible and you kind of seem overwhelmed. Church, too often we get focused on like award-winning fruit and say that's the only fruit that God accepts. That's the only thing that I can do, and I will never have fruit like that. That's false. A couple years ago, I planted two avocado trees in every season. I'd like to say it's once a year, but it's really like every month. I go out there, and I check those things for fruit. And just recently, I went out there, and there was a fruit on there. It's a little bitty one. And I went, and I got the kids, and I made them look at it. And I grabbed Melissa and I said, you got to look at this. And the kids to this day swear there was nothing there, but I swear there was. And maybe Melissa was just humoring me, but I was so excited about just this little piece of fruit. It was the most important avocado in the whole world. You could barely see, I could see it. It was there. It was like this big. And I just imagine when God sees fruit in our life, right, that we are his. And he says, look. Look what it's producing. Look at this fruit. And he has that same joy in his life when he sees us following him and being obedient, when he sees us making disciples. And Jesus says, look, look at that fruit. And we get stuck in the lie like, I can never do that. God will never use me. I can never produce fruit like that. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the sermon. You're right, you can't do it. But God can Right? And we know that God will work for you. And Scripture tells us he'll do more than you can even think of or imagine. And Paul reminds the Christians in Ephesus of this when he writes this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. God will work through you. Right? If we have a hearing heart, if we have soil and we are seeking understanding, we're obeying God, he will produce fruit in our lives. We will see worship will just come naturally to us. We'll see that we want to go out and share the gospel. We'll see that we want people to grow and be in discipleship with Jesus. But church, we have to look at the very beginning on how this all started. Like church, if, if our heart is hard, if our heart is shallow, I'll tell you right now, repentance is the pickaxe for all of that. A pickaxe can... Uh, break the heart of soil and repentance will open up that soil will soften that soil 
Church, and if your heart is tangled in weeds, then time with God and Bible study, time with God and prayer, just solitude, you just get away and just spend time with you and God, that is the fertilizer which grows the word of God in your life. That is the fertilizer that will produce that fruit in your life and kill off those other weeds in your, in your life. So if you haven't repented or you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, that's where you need to start. That is where we start to have soft soil and hearing hearts. It does no good just to read the Bible without knowing Jesus. Right? That seed will just build up on the road and birds will eat it and it will be taken away. But when we repent and we put our faith in Jesus, when we believe and we follow Jesus, that soil begins to soften. So if, if, if your heart is hard as the road, that's where you have to start. We have, we have to start with repentance. But if the seed is in your heart, right, if it's taken fold, if it's starting to grow, then I want you to take time this week and just praise God. Right? Just spend time in worship, just praising God for the fruit in your life, the fruit that he is producing in your life and praise him for the promise to make that fruit a hundredfold. And say, God, you, you promised this, I'm gonna claim it, but right now, I'm just gonna worship for what you are doing in my life. I'm just gonna worship you for the fruit that you are producing in my life. And then you guys need to write this down because you're gonna try and forget this, but here's what I want you to do this week also. I want you to just take a minute and write a letter. Take a minute and send an email. Take a meal, I don't care, and grab somebody and go to, to lunch with them and share with them what you see God doing in their life. Share with them the fruit that you see in their life and just be an encouragement to what is going on in their life because we all know that it's really, really hard sometimes for us to see the fruit in our life. But there's others around us. There's others that we are doing life with that see what God is doing in our lives. Take time to tell somebody. Take time to encourage them. Because church, here's the, here's the, the truth, is that we want to be an orchard of fruit-producing trees, a body of believers. This church, when we look out here, we just want to see trees with blooms on them and fruit on them overflowing. We want people in this community to look at this church and to see this huge orchard with tons of fruit, hundredfold fruit on all of the trees. And so we need that. We need to first, we got to take time to sow that seed and to water those trees. And then we need to see God just produce fruit, not only in our lives, but in the lives of our church and then throughout each of our communities. But it begins with repentance and then it's followed by a hearing heart that is truly trying to understand what God is saying and model that obedience for God and then persevering. And then we will see fruit of worship and discipleship like we have never seen before. That is the goal for this church, that we be an orchard of fruit-producing Christians. Dear Heavenly Father, we are, so, we are so grateful for your word. We are so grateful for the scriptures. We're so grateful for Jesus who gave us an example to follow. And Lord, we would just pray that we would, um, we would just take time as we look at these parables and we would take time to reflect on who we are in those parables, the questions that you are getting us to wrestle with. And Lord, we would just look at the soils and that you would just give us the courage to be 100% honest with who we are. And Lord, that you would burn any weeds in our life, that you would pickaxe any hard ground in our life. Lord, that we would just uh, give it to you. Lord, that we would just follow you, that our hearts would be open to the words of Jesus, 
and that people would see in our lives the fruit of being a faithful follower of Jesus. Lord, we love you. Uh, We thank you for this time that we can come together and worship you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.